0: G'day everyone, and welcome to another episode of another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates, thanks so much for listening, and I have a huge episode lined up today because I'm officially out of the shed and into my apartment in Melbourne for university, and because it's currently orientation week at the moment, and because I hate drinking and partying and just people in general, I have been to the movies six times over the past week, so... A lot of movies I'm going to get through. I'm going to be talking about Jasper Jones, The Great Wall, and Best Picture nominees um, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, Fences, as well as the Australian film that is nominated for Best Foreign Language Feature, Tanner. But first off, I'm going to talk about Jasper Jones. Now, I was lucky enough to go to a preview screening of this at the Cinema Nova in Carlton on Wednesday night. I'm currently recording this on Saturday, so it was a few days ago, and after the film there was a Q&A with the director of the film, Rachel Perkins, one of the producers, the writer of the novel, Craig Sylvie, and actors from the film, and Gary Rice, Hugo Weaving, and Dan Wiley. So in case you haven't heard anything about this, Jasper Jones is based on the very, very popular Australian novel written by Craig Silvey, which has been coined the Australian To Kill a Mockingbird, or as Craig Silvey said at the Q&A, uh, To Kill a Magpie. Um, and it's been adapted, it was adapted into a stage play about three or four years ago, which got very, very good reviews. And it's now a feature length film which comes out in Australian cinemas on March the 2nd. Set in the remote rural town of Corrigan, Western Australia, in the summer of 1969, Jasper Jones is a coming of age drama that tells the story of Charlie Buckton, a young 14 year old boy who's, a bit bo- who's bookish and doesn't really, is a bit of a social outcast. But Charlie's life is changed forever when one night the town's mixed-race outcast Jasper Jones shows Charlie the dead body of a young girl named Laura Wishart, beaten and hung from a tree. Knowing that the local cops will accuse Jasper of murder, Charlie and Jasper must work together to prove Jasper's innocence and find the true killer. Now, i got to say, I was really, really excited for this movie. I mean, there are some great people involved, great actors, young and old in this. And also, Rachel Perkins, I think, is a fantastic director. Her Marbo Telly movie that she made for the ABC a few years back was really, really great. And also, Brand New Day, I think, is a very, very underrated Aussie film that people just kind of forget about every now and then. So, I was really looking forward to this movie. But also, simultaneously, being based off of a novel... I was starting to think, uh, maybe this might not be as good, because then I thought back to the Tomorrow When the War Began movie, which was also based off of a very, very popular novel, and that movie was terrible. So naturally, that made me slightly nervous about this movie. But I have to say, Jasper Jones, like a lot of critics are calling this a modern Australian classic. Like They say that about the book, and they've been saying that about the movie. And I couldn't agree with them more. This movie is fantastic. They're great performances from the entire cast. But first of all, I just want to talk about Levi Miller. Like, this kid, he's been around for a little bit now. Like, he was in Pan, as I mentioned at the top of the story. He was in Pan. He was in Red Dog, True Blue. And for how old he is, like, I think 16 or 17, he's incredible in this movie. At At that young man age, to carry a movie like this is a very, very good feat. And there's barely a shot... I can't really remember a shot in the film that he isn't in. Like, he's the the main character, and he is excellent in this movie. But his excellent performance is com- complemented by an extraordinary supporting cast. Like, everyone in this movie is fantastic. Like, Hugo Weaving, who's only in this movie for a few scenes as Mad Jack Lionel, the man who Charlie and Jasper suspect killed Laura Wishart, he's, yeah, as I said, he's only in the movie for a few scenes, but... God, is he amazing in them. It was a lot like his role in Hacksaw Ridge, where he didn't have a lot of screen time, but when he was on screen, like he made an impact, and he was fantastic. Another great performance was Tony Collette, who I think was the standout in this movie. Like She's a very, very underrated actress, and she is great as Charlie's mother, who... Definitely is very overprotective, you would guess, but you can see that she really, really cares for a kid and will do anything for him. And she was great, and also someone who was great in the movie, uh, someone who I was lucky enough to have a quick chat to and meet at the screening, who just keeps getting better and better every time I see her on screen, is Angauri Rice. I mean, her character so easily could have just been this one-dimensional kind of pretty girl-next-door love interest that Charlie starts to fancy, but there's so much more to her character, and there's so much depth to her character, and, and Gary Rice does a great job of bringing out the confusion of why Ch- of why Charlie like says that he likes her but then keeps on avoiding her, and also this kind of suppressed sadness that she has about her sister being like murdered. And that really is a testament to both Craig Sylvie and Sean Grant who wrote the screenplay of this and how they were able to make the characters so nuanced and have so much depth without none of them being one dimensional or just cliched and that really is a testament to the writers and it's great to see on film and it makes for a more compelling story. And speaking of compelling stories as well, there are a lot of really, really great subplots in this movie. Like um, Charlie's best friend Jeffrey, who loves cricket and he's a, has incredible cricket skills, but they never give him a go in the town because he's Vietnamese. Even though he's great at cricket, he always sits on the bench every every day because every game because he's has a Vietnamese background. And like sadly that. Um, I mean even like I said this with Hidden Figures even though that was set back in the 60s and that's still being relevant today and like also with the also with the cops first going to blame Jasper for the murder and for basically any crime that would happen in Corrigan it really shows just the blatant racism that was aware that that was around back then and is sadly still present today but then he finally does get his chance in the movie, and it's very satisfying. Like, it does take a break from the whole murder mystery um, plot, main plot of the movie, and which it, you're kind of wondering the, to, to kind of get back on track, but then that scene happens, and it's uh, really good. So, like, it didn't really bother me that much. Also this movie gets the 60s aesthetic almost spot on like the way that the town looks like all of the buildings the cars like the costumes of all the, of all the characters as well like it is spot on 60s and they the really great attention to detail with that and also the way the movie's shot is it just looks beautiful like it's being set in a very remote town in Western Australia. Like there's not a lot of greenery over there, so there's a lot of like warm colors, like a lot of yellows and oranges and reds on screen, and it looks am- It looks beautiful, and the movie is really well edited too. Um, the movie's only about 102 minutes long, and it has a very very even pace. Like, and that's what I think is good when um when a, whenever a novel gets adapted into a book, and they get the they get the novel they get the writer. Uh, to do the screenplay because they know the story better than anyone and they will know like to adapt it into a movie which parts would need to be cut out to make it of to make it a more compelling feature-length film. And that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. Like, this is a great movie, guys. Like, it comes out uh, next Thursday, March second. So please, d- please, if you saw, if you love Aussie films, like what I said with Lion as well. Like, and if you haven't seen that, please go watch that as well. But if you want to see a great Australian film that will pe- appeal to both kids, teenagers, or maybe not kids, but definitely teenagers and adults, then Jasper Jones is definitely the movie for you. Please go see it, it's a very, very good movie and a great adaptation of a great novel. Alright, that was my review for Jasper Jones. Now onto The Great Wall. When I first saw the trailer for The Great Wall back in either September or October last year, my re- initial thoughts were, that looks dumb. But you know what, that could be pretty that could be a fun time. And after I saw The Great Wall, my reaction was, that was dumb, but it was a pretty fun time. So the basic plot of this movie is that Matt Damon and Pedro Pascal, from, uh, who plays Oberyn Martell on Game of Thrones, are soldiers that have come to China looking for black powder, or as we know it, gunpowder. And uh, they are taken prisoner by the uh, soldiers at the Great Wall, and uh, while they're prisoners there, um, the Great Wall is attacked by these giant lizard things, I think uh, the, their name escapes me that came in on some media or something because the gods were angry at them, yada yada yada. So Matt Damon and Oberyn from Game of Thrones are released to help the Chinese fight these giant lizard monster things. And the result is, as I said, a really, really dumb movie, but a movie that embraces how dumb it is and is really, really entertaining. Even though I'm saying this movie's a really fun time, I feel as if I'm being a bit too harsh on it, but there are actually quite a lot of impressive things about this movie. First off, the visual effects I actually thought were quite good. The production design was really good too, like the sets were really, really good. Also, the costumes looked incredible. Like, yeah, they did look a little cartoony and like straight out of a video game at points, but they did look really, really, really cool. And there are a lot of really fun action sequences as well. Like, there are these soldiers that like, I can't remember what they called them, but they're all women as well. They get in these, like, they basically tether themselves up to these things and they skydive down with like kind of bungee cords, like that, attached to like metal rings that they put around their waist, and they jump down and they like stab the these lizard monsters with spears and swords and things like that. That was really cool. I have to say that was a lot of fun to watch. And I'm also happy that the whole movie wasn't in English and that a lot of the movie was actually in Chinese. Um, only problem is uh, because um, I think only two of the only two of the Chinese characters actually spoke English, like there was a lot of um, repeating what was just under the subtitles in English, that was a little bit frustrating and I think might have just got this movie to feature length actually, but like, and that actually makes me interested to see how different the English and the Chinese version actually are, but this movie is made by Legendary Studios, who, if you don't know who these guys are at this point, these, uh, this is the studio that's made movies like The New Godzilla, The New King Kong, The Pacific Rim... All these kinds of movies, just big, really fun, not really dumb action movies. And they also made Warcraft as well, um, we won't hold that against them. But whenever you watch a movie by this studio, you know what to expect. There isn't really much to it, like there's nothing really groundbreaking here. It's just a really, really fun movie that that people will enjoy. And the only problem is though, I can't really remember a lot what was happened. so it's not really that memorable. So I guess that's really its only downside to it, um, but like it's very disposable, is what I'd say. Like you watch it, it's really fun, but then like if you're asked about it about a month later, you're like, oh yeah, I saw that, it was it was good, it was okay. So that's probably the only thing against it, but like if you're, if you're a fan of these kinds of movies, and I am for the most part, like sometimes they'll just skip out on one because it just doesn't, looks like it's going to bore me. But like if you want to see this movie, go ahead by all means see it like and if you just don't like maybe this would be a perfect dvd rental or like a watch on netflix on a friday or saturday night when nothing else is on that that would be the perfect spot for this movie but like it well it doesn't really matter if you don't see it at the box office at the moment because it's already like doubled its money over in china before it even came to western countries so it's fine there but yeah if you want to go see it it's a lot of fun Yeah, definitely check it out if you you want to. Alright, that was The Great Wall. Now, I'm going to get into a bunch of movies that are nominated for Oscars. So, I have now seen every film that is nominated for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards... And first off, I'll start with one of the movies, the first of the three that I saw, Manchester by the Sea. So, Manchester by the Sea is a film written and directed by Kenneth Monaghan, and it's about a Boston janitor named Lee Chandler, who's played by Casey Affleck, who's, when his brother dies, he has to move back to his hometown of Manchester, Massachusetts to take care of his young teenage nephew. Now, this movie is getting almost universal praise for its acting, its direction, just practically every single aspect of this movie, and I was really excited for it, but I had been warned that this movie is really, really depressing. And I have to say, I was a little bit let down by this movie. I couldn't really get into it. There are a lot of good things about this movie though, especially the performances as well. Casey Affleck, is really, really good in this movie. Like, his character is very subdued, it's a very subtle performance, and he's really good in the movie, although I don't think he'll win uh, Best Actor at the Oscars because of all these Uh, sexual assault um, allegations that against him that have came out recently and I think that's put a bit of a dint in his Oscar hopes and that Denzel Washington will probably win it for Fences which I will get to very shortly. But although Affleck is very good in the movie, I just found his character so dull and really, really boring. And I know in the movie they show why he's like this in an absolutely excellent scene where he tries to kill himself after a family tragedy and Sure, after that, like, you really sympathise with his character, but still, the way that Affleck just, I mean, I know he prepared a lot for this movie, but it's hard for, for, I found it very hard to latch on, like, that was the only thing that was, like, latching on to this character, and especially this tragedy was ultimately his fault as well so I kind of like it it made it hard for him to be likable and for me to care about his character but I do think he is um, worthy of the nomination and um, as I said he probably won't win because of all of these allegations but also in this movie another Oscar nominated performance in this movie Michelle Williams she's not in the movie very much but when she is on screen she has an amazing presence I mean just the one scene towards the end like if you've seen the movie you know which one i'm talking about it's brilliant and for the very limited amount of screen time that she's that she's in this movie she really makes an impact and i'm also glad with the way that this story is structured like there are quite a few flashbacks and it tells you sequentially like why this ca- these characters are so broken and so r- sad And I thought that was a really interesting way of telling the story and it had a very good impact in, like, telling the story and having that emotional impact. But then that's where we get into the negatives. There are a lot of these flashbacks and they are really, really jarring. To the point where, at times, I didn't know whether it was a flashback or not. Also, for a really heavy drama like this, I was surprised that there were so many scenes where there were just fucking pointless arguments about nothing that were dragged out for the sake of just, I don't know, it was just, it was astounding. Like, I don't want to see a ten minute scene of this, of Casey Affleck's nephew trying to get with this girl, okay, like, I, I don't care about that. And it really, really took me out of the movie and well also this movie has some shit pacing like it is moves at a glacial pace which was really it was a slog to sit through i'm i'm not going to lie I mean the heavy subject matter of the film was hard enough but for 2 hours nearly 2 hours and 20 minutes of that it was unbearable at some points. And I know I'm probably going to cop a lot of flack for this because this movie has like a 96 on Metacritic and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and like is practically as I said at the top of the show at the top of this review universally loved by practically everyone who saw it and as soon as I told my friend that I didn't really like it he was like oh you didn't get you didn't understand what the director was trying to do. And look maybe but and also the director has a a great cameo in this by the way but i just i i couldn't connect to it like i couldn't get into it and i i i can see i appreciate what the work that was put into this there were some good performances really really great direction and a pretty pretty good screenplay apart from the really really shit pacing and the really, really depressing subject matter of the story, and also an incredibly abrupt ending, and all the pointless arguments that were dragged out for the sake of extra drama. But I can... Yeah, but as I said, I appreciate what was done, and I can just say that this movie's not for me. Yeah, it deserves a few of the Oscars it's nominated for. Ben Affleck... uh, Not Ben. Casey Affleck definitely deserves his nomination. Uh... Best Direction, yeah, I can see that. There was To get these performances out of these actors, and especially um, young Lucas Hedges, who I've never seen in anything before, he was great. Uh, he probably deserves his nomination. I'd probably put Sonny Pawar for Lion ahead of him, though. And I can't really see myself ever watching this again. I don't really think it has that much replay value. So I don't think it's not gonna win Best Picture. Best is gonna go to either Moonlight or La La Land. And on that note, we'll move on to Moonlight. Now, my good friend Eric Tischer has already talked about this movie on my show, and I could not agree with him more that this is an excellent, excellent film, and very worthy of all the Oscars attention that it's getting. It's a very personal and a very intimate story, and that is complemented by the way this movie is shot. There's very, very intimate cinematography, a lot of close-ups, a lot of tracking shots, and it just looks incredible. And awards-worthy performances from the entire cast. Um, all three of the actors that play Chiron at the different times of his life are all great in the movie. The standout out of those three was the, the actor who played teenage Chiron. And that, that whole segment of when he was a teenager, The second, the whole second act of the movie, I think is the strongest and is easily the most emotionally powerful and impactful section or the act of the entire movie. And as I said, the rest of the cast are just fantastic. Um, Janelle Monae, who was great in Hidden Figures, who also has a small role in this, and she's not not on screen for very long, but she's very good in this, but the standouts of this movie, and they're both nominated for Oscars, Marshala Ali and Naomi Harris. Um, Marshala Ali, like with Michelle Williams in Manchester by the Sea, He's not in the movie for very long like he's only in the first act of the movie but man he leaves he leaves his mark on this film he is excellent and Naomi Harris as uh, Chiron's um, crackhead mother she oh she is incredible like I forgot for for a lot of this movie that Naomi Harris is British and this was such a transformation for her and something completely different from everything else that I've seen her in and she was just incredible. And Moonlight also highlights so many contemporary issues with our society like things from racism to gay rights to drug addiction to poverty and bullying. Moonlight tackles all of these issues but does it in a way that's not necessarily subtle but does it in a way that doesn't feel extremely preachy and kind of just beating you over the head with this is what's wrong with the world we live in kind of way, and that was just great to see. Although this movie did get a little overhyped for me and I didn't, I didn't um, enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to and it wasn't as the masterpiece that I thought it was going to be, this is a very, very good film. That has a very, very important message, especially in a time where all of the issues in this film are relevant to today's society. And that's why I think it. W- this will win Best Picture this year, not only because like, it's an incredibly well-made film with the brilliantly acted, directed, shot, all of that, practically all- everything about this is great, but also because with what's happening in the U.S. right now and also with the Academy and all the Oscars So White controversy last year that if they just gave it to La La Land, that just shows that the Academy haven't changed from being the rich white country club that they have been for the last uh, nearly 90 years now. It is a very deserving Best Picture nominate nominated film and it will be a very deserving winner if it takes home the trophy. Alright, that was my review for Moonlight, and the last film that I'll review that is nominated for Best Picture, Fences. So, Fences is an adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize winning play by August Wilson of the same name, which both Denzel Washington and Viola Davis both won Tonys for when they did this on Broadway back in 2010. This adaptation also stars Viola Davis and Denzel Washington, and Denzel Washington also directed this, and it's about a working-class African-American family in the 1950s. Now, I didn't really want to see this because, for a few reasons mainly, because I heard a lot of people saying that it was adapted by a play and that it's not very cinematic, and also that it's just mostly dialogue, and it's two hours and twenty minutes long. So that was a bit of a turn-off for me, but I did go see it, and wow, I'm glad I did. There isn't really any plot to this movie or any kind of story, it's just all dialogue and character-driven, and like for a movie that's this long, you have to have interesting characters and interesting, really, really engaging dialogue. And this is the biggest surprise of the whole um of all of the Oscar nominated films I've seen so far because I wasn't really expect I was expecting great performances, but then just kind of a slow, boring film. But I loved this movie. First of all, let's get to the performances, because they're all excellent, but obviously the standouts, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington, these two are just um, they're magic on screen in this film. That they, they played the characters 114 times on Broadway, so they know these characters inside and out, and they are just perfect in this film. I think Viola Davis is a sure thing to get the Oscar for Best Supporting, and I don't think that Denzel Washington will win, because I think Casey Affleck will for Manchester by the Sea, but... God, he deserves it. The scene in this movie where his son tells him, uh, will asks him, why don't you like me? And him saying, I don't have to like you. Like it's my responsibility as a parent to make sure that you have a life. It was so, so powerful and so emotionally impactful. And it's uh, they'll probably use it for his Oscar clip. And it was incredible, like Denzel Washington. You can see obviously taking on like producing, directing, and starring in this movie, and also being it on Broadway that he has a passion for August Wilson and, in particular, this play. And oh, that really shines through on in this film. A lot of complaints that the people are having with this movie is that because it's based off the play, they didn't actually change it around that much. Like they could have shown more, like things that happen off stage in the play also happen off screen in this film. And a lot of people were complaining that they wanted to because. They, they wanted to see that happen. I did not have a problem with that at all. I thought that keeping the settings contained to just the backyard, the front yard, the kitchen or upstairs, it really made the story feel a lot more intimate and and personal too. And uh, as for the length of the film, like on paper, 139 minutes of a drama, of a period drama, does look a little bit, may turn a lot of people off to it, but... Honestly, in the cinema, it just goes right by, and it's really, really. It keeps a very even pace throughout the entire movie, and just the dialogue between the characters and the character and the, also the characters themselves are so interesting, and they have so much depth to them that it really, really. It, I was sucked into this world, even though it was so, even as contained as it was. Like I was so engaged with this film from start to the end, guys. I really recommend Fences. Um, it won't win Best Picture. Like La La Land or Moonlight, definitely will. But like, if you have a chance to see this, like, it's not playing in, for a movie that's getting like all this Oscar and awards buzz. Like, it's not in too many theaters. But if you have the chance to see it, like, if it is in theaters, cinemas, or definitely when it comes out on DVD, or if it gets to Netflix or Stan or Presto or anything like that, definitely, definitely watch it. It's well worth your time, and was definitely the biggest surprise of this year's awards season. Alright that was my review for Fences. Now I'm going to move on to a film called Tanner, which is interestingly the an, an Australia's entry for the best foreign language film at this year's Academy Awards and it got nominated. It was one of the five nominees and it is very very hard to find in the cinemas at the moment. But just by ha- just by coincidence, it just happened to be playing at the cinema, which is literally a hundred meters away from where I'm, from where my accommodation here on uni is, and I saw it. So none of you probably have heard anything about this movie. So Tana is the is an Australian and Vanuatu co-production and was shot entirely on location of the island of Tanna in Vanuatu and all of the actors in the film are actually villagers of the Yakal tribe on the island many of whom never had seen a movie before this let alone acted in one and the film is based on a true story about a young girl named Wawa whose father has arranged her to be married to a boy from another tribe as a sign of peace between them But when she refuses and runs off with the man that she really loves, tensions arise between the tribes and they try to bring her back before any blood is spilt between them. Now, I hadn't seen any trailers for this film or read anything about it. All I knew that it just got nominated for Best Foreign Language Feature. And wow, this movie is excellent. Tanner is a beautiful film, not only in its really heartfelt story of forbidden love and questioning your beliefs in turn doing what you feel is right, but also in the way that this movie is shot. It is beautiful. The cinematography, big sweeping landscape shots of this beautiful forest and this massive volcano that the yakal people called their spirit mother it all looks incredible and also to see this tribe on screen and their culture it was just really really interesting to see and especially this tribe as well who they say that they're the last keepers of their old customs there's even a scene where the chief of the village is saying the other tribes have forgotten the ways of our customs like, we, but we are the last keepers of it. We, we resisted colonization, the, the settlement of Christians, and all of these other things through all of these really hard times. We have not forgotten our customs, because if we do not follow our customs, then we're doomed. And that's where the conflict comes in, because the part of their custom is, well, I think it's custom. it's K-A-S-T-O-M. I, might be, I don't know if I'm saying that wrong, right or not, but part of that was an arranged marriage, and that's where the conflict comes in because both the tribes, the Yakal and the Amedans, through the tribes who are clashing, that have been um, have been in conflict to get with each other for what what you assume is a very long time because there's a moment where there's someone's, where someone is walking through the forest and someone's hiding in the bush, and look, look over there, that was the man who destro- estro- destroyed our crops. So you can tell that the tension between them is very, very high at the moment, and, but then the custom is the only thing that's not, le- that's keeping them from absolutely going all out and killing each other. But then Wawa's refusal to the arranged marriage is really the feather that breaks the back, and is showing that like you don't respect our customs anymore. Like we're gonna go to war, and that's what makes you the audience really conflicted. I mean, obviously you want Wawa to go off with this this boy that she so clearly loves and is also pregnant with her with the with his child now as well. But also like it's kind of like it's selfish in a way. Like does she do what's best for herself or what's best for her people and? respect the ways of of their customs and be the bridge between the two tribes to make peace but to make peace with them so in short tana is a very very beautiful film that i loved every second of if you can find it definitely go see it like i haven't heard anything about where whether it's going to come out when it's going to come out on dvd Like, I think this first came out in 2015 or, like, early 2016. Like, it was released quite a while ago. I'm not quite sure if it's actually on DVD at at the moment. Okay, well, after a quick Google search, it actually has been out in DVD since uh, April last year. And a Blu-ray is going to be released this week, actually, at JB Hi-Fi. Maybe at other places as well. But definitely check this out. Definitely buy it. It's well worth it and is a really, really interesting film that was a really delightful surprise to see. All right, that is my review of Tanner and that brings the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this, please follow us on SoundCloud and also subscribe to us on iTunes where you can also rate review, rate, rate us and give us a five-star review. Um, also like our Facebook page, Another Bloody Movie Podcast. You can follow our Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod and you can also follow my personal Instagram account at Hub underscore, that is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore and thanks very much for listening, guys. See you later.